this podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. This podcast is not to be a substitute for seeking mental health therapy, mental health treatment if necessary. If you or your loved one is in need of mental health services, please call 911. Please contact your mobile crisis. For those outside of the U.S., please contact your emergency services or go to your nearest hospital. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hey, before we continue on this week's episode, I got to talk about my brand new sponsor, the Social Yes, the Social Work Brands Podcast has a real, real sponsor, and I'm so excited. It's Herd Technologies Incorporated. And listen up, if, if you work in private practice, this is definitely for you. Herd is the financial back office for mental health professionals. On average, they save therapists more than 60 hours per year in financial record keeping and $5,000 in taxes. We're in tax season, folks, so pay attention. If you're in private practice, a social worker in private practice, they'll take care of all your accounting needs, including bookkeeping, taxes, and payroll. They'll support your business throughout the year to make sure that you get maximum deductions. Now, who wouldn't want maximum deductions on their tax return? I highly recommend them if you're looking to, looking to get help for your finances. Check out joinherd.com for more information. This is a game changer. This is tax season here in America. So joinherd.com for more information. Hello, social workers, mental health professionals, and change agents. Welcome to another episode of season six of the social work Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Bash Moreno. Saludos a todos. Greetings, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, tapping in wherever you are watching or listening to this podcast. Thank you, everybody, for continuing to rock in and supporting the podcast. Uh, gracias a todos por su apoyo. I really appreciate all the love and support. Uh, make sure you continue to follow the, the podcast on all social media uh, platforms, on Instagram, at the Social Work Ranch Podcast. That is all one word. Follow the podcast on Twitter. Don't let Elon scare you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at uh, Social Work Ranch, that's also one word. And don't let Zuckerberg scare you as much as he likes to likes to hate <laughs> online on the download. Uh, hit the like button. Type in the Social Work Ranch podcast. Hit the like button on Facebook, aka Meta. And of course, hit that red subscribe button on YouTube. So again, this podcast available on all audio platforms and also on YouTube. Like, share, um, rate the podcast if you're listening on, on, on the audio side. I really appreciate it. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Bass City Entertainment, your home for online for your online holistic self-care featuring poetry and Zumba classes. Uh, Zumba class is coming out first one of 2023, Sunday, February the 19th, 12 p.m. Eastern, New York, Delaware time, East Coast time. Uh, make sure you get your tickets at BassMoreno.com. I'm going to have a lot of fun. Uh, come out and support. It'll be on Zoom, so get to, as soon as you pay for it, you'll get the uh, the Zoom info and you log, 
just uh, log on and I'll, I'll you know, put you in, 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 the, in the Zoom room. So uh, lot of, it'll be a, a lot of fun and good to get back out doing the Zumba classes. And also uh, make, for those who haven't got my book, Trying Through Pain, How to Maximize Your Full Potential During Hard Times is available on paperback and on Kindle and 20, later on this year, it'll be available on audio as well. So uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on. We are, are February is coming fast and furious and March is coming up fast and furious with all these uh, wonderful events uh, that's happening. And uh, the power of social media is how I landed uh, this talented social worker <laughs> with, with Maris Soto Ramos uh, in Rhode Island. I finally hit another another state <laughs> my, my first guest from, from in Rhode Island how you doing good good thank you so much for having me <laughs> no no awesome I'm you know, glad we you know we can make this work and, and again the power the power of social media if you use it correctly is just make connections <laughs> and hey when we get on the podcast sure let's talk about something and, and we, we make it work so here we are so uh, how are things going Good, busy day today, full of patience and <laughs> but overall good. Good for, for those for those who don't know who you are, what you do are wonderful, fascinating, challenging field of social work. Uh, let people know who you are and what you do. Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. And thank you again for having me. Um, my name is Wilmaris, and I am a licensed independent clinical social worker. Full time, I work with the older population as a behavioral health specialist, which I always say it's a fancy term for therapist. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there I support my patients in primary care who are on Medicare. Um, so a lot of low income population, um, patients who are have serious mental illness. Um, and on my part-time work. I have my own private practice where I support women and couples who have experienced pregnancy loss um, or any type of perinatal mood disorders. I also am the facilitator of a stillbirth support group that happens every third Tuesday of the month. And I also facilitate another group, which is Terminations for Medical Reasons through the Postpartum International Organization. Um, I'm a facilitator there and I do that once um, the first Thursday of every month. Busy lady. Busy <laughs> lady. I'm a two-year-old, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you balance all that in, in you know, motherhood of a toddler? Like how, like, how do you do that? a lot of village support <laughs> it takes a village it really does and you know it's it's interesting because I always tell my patients you know you got to self-care you got to self-care and it's something that I too am trying to practice because I can't be a good therapist if I'm not taking care of myself <laughs> no I, I absolutely and, and, and part of my, my business motto is uh self-care is not a hashtag is, is a way of life and, and it's That's like and it's hard because we do a lot of different things and it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just hard and you just have to be mindful of, of do something, whatever you enjoy, whatever you want to do, or even something you pick up a new skill you want to learn. If that's, that's your way to, you know, to love yourself and enjoy yourself or whatever, like just do whatever works for you. So, yeah. um, 
so you mentioned mentioned a lot working with with uh i know they they changed the and i want to use the correct terminology <laughs> um from older adults i guess we use older adults now instead of just uh seniors <laughs> like i'm still learning I'm still <laughs> i mean i yeah i guess i i use the term older adults Okay, we're gonna use older older adults. Um, somebody who might be a little sensitive and be like, say it correctly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, you know, working with the older adults. Uh, you know, I worked in New York um, before I moved to Delaware. I would say about almost two full years, and and I've had clients throughout different. Uh, jobs I've had who are older adults and they can be fun and but definitely very very challenging especially uh, if they outlived everybody and it comes to like health needs being you know, not being met because they physically can't anymore and try to make sure that they're safe in the community otherwise we might have to talk about a short-term placement and it might lead to long-term long-term rehab place placement so what's your experience been like oh my gosh I mean so interestingly <laughs> enough I I've been working for Oak Street um, for three years now I started off as their medical social worker I got hired a month before the pandemic so I too celebrated three years with Oak Street last Friday awesome. um, congrats thank you and I worked from home during the pandemic with older adults and it was extremely hard I mean and now just seeing like going from seeing them from the pandemic and now being a therapist working with them and the aftermath where a lot of them lost family members um a lot of them are still dealing with the repercussions of that COVID has had in the in their families and we work with a population that's really tough right because a lot of our patients unfortunately are low income um, a lot of them are coming from different cultural backgrounds and a lot of them either are facing, they have, it's, you know, it's multi-layered. Not only do they have a mental health need, um, and challenges, but they're also chronic illnesses, right? They're mm -hmm. struggling with chronic health. We have a lot of patients who have COPD. We have a lot of patients who have, um, chronic illnesses, um, one of my patients just, I was just on the phone with him today. He just got, got diagnosed with prostate cancer and he's mm. in his early, um, you know, so, and he doesn't have much family. So it's, it's really tough. Um, I think there's a lot of layers to this population, especially because they're coming in with years and years and years of trauma, especially for those who I, I'm the first therapist that some of my patients have ever seen in their whole life. And they have, again, like decades of trauma they, that they have not worked through. So that can be really challenging. No, yeah, I, absolutely. And um, those who've been listening to the, to the podcast and I shared right before we started recording uh, of you know, my losses of, of working with the elderly population due to COVID. And by the time I, I left that agency and moved to Delaware, it was like, I counted 30 that passed away from COVID. That's wow. at the time I left. And that's not including maybe like two or three that passed from from the natural causes or just their, like their ailments and stuff and being in the hospital. So wow. uh, uh, so it was a, it was definitely uh, 
a challenging, challenging uh, time to say the least. And like you said, there's a lot of, you know, the cultural plays a big part of like not seeing a therapist and kind of like unpack childhood history, you yeah. know, things that they, you know, because of culture and never like, mm-hmm. you know, I just deal with it. Like, and just, and then like, it kind of like something else triggers and it triggers that initial trauma and is like, trying to work through that and actually mm-hmm. need to talk to somebody or they you know I had a client who just was crying all the time and just thought that was mm-hmm. like normal just to cry mm-hmm. every day having crying spells like no and try to provide that mm-hmm. psychoeducation like it's not yeah. it's not normal like this try to like unpack like what exactly is going on mm-hmm. that's huge yeah like what so before we get into more of the clinical stuff like I I don't, what exactly you seeing in terms of like, when I have people on, I like to ask like boots on the ground, like what are you seeing and stuff for Rhode Island in terms of the population you work at, you know, with your pop, private practice and your nine to five, like what, what exactly are, are the needs are, what is like the local yeah. government doing to actually try to support, you know, people day in, day out, what are you, what exactly are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen an increase in substance use in a lot of our patients, um, a lot of serious mental illness. So we're talking about schizophrenia, by uncontrolled bipolar disorder. Um, we have, unfortunately, a handful of patients who have just gone untreated for so long that they're really, they're really not here, right? Like, you know, like they can't really have their reality is they're, they're living in their own reality. Um, and, and that's really hard because, you know, we have to also work with them and meet them where they're at. Um, but when, you know, they're not fully here, it's really hard to treat the patient because oftentimes they have very unrealistic goals of their care. Um, so we see a lot of that with our population. Um, unfortunately, a lot of homelessness, um, chronic homelessness. And I think this is everywhere where the housing crisis is huge, right? Like a lot of my patients, unfortunately, have been displaced because of the high rent cost. Um, some of them in Rhode Island, we only have one big shelter in the Providence area, and then some small shelters for specific populations like domestic violence, women's shelter, or people who are using substances. But the main shelter, uh, unfortunately, it's it's a lot of our patients and they've told me they, they rather like sleep under a bridge because it's just the conditions are not the best a lot mm-hmm. of the times. And you can't blame them, right? Like when they're humans too, they want to also live they don't just want to go anywhere, even though they right. need the support. But when they're, you know, people are stealing from them when they go to these places or it triggers, it triggers their use. A lot of my patients suffer from history of substance use and they're trying to stay clean. Um, but because they don't have housing, they can't stay clean. And that's really hard. Um, so it just becomes like this revolving door um, mm-hmm. and then trying little fires out every time because again there's also a shortage of therapists and our program is intended to be more short term but that's we know that's not the case it's not going to happen like it's not possible now with the shortage of therapy shortage of psychiatrists um 
So there's, there's a lot of challenges there. And for my private practice specifically, I'm getting a lot of, unfortunately, like a lot of sad cases um, around stillbirths, um, which babies that are born after 20 weeks, um, no longer alive um, from women and infants, which is our major hospital here in Providence. Um, so a lot of sad cases there and, and even sadder cases where they have to terminate a, a very wanted pregnancy due to uh, genetic deformities or chromosomal abnorma abnormalities. Um, so a lot of those cases, and, it's, and there's not a lot of uh, pregnancy law support here either, which is one of the main reasons why I started my private practice. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. And I know from like, you know, studying like you no know, businesses, business, and you know, having my own small business, my own, it's learning like business formation. But I like how you, you like you saw a need and then you try to fill that need. You saw what was happening and and, and you made you made it happen. That, that that's is is that like why why do you think that is it something with the population or is something like what like what do you see in the like, you know you know, I know like people are still like, all right, I'm still going to have the baby and still like, doesn't matter. Like I, I'll do find like the resources, whether yeah. it be whatever deformity or whatever, whatever. But what do you say? Like, unfortunately, yeah. like the ending the termination of the pregnancy, like what do you, why, why is that? Is it just cost or, or just culture or, or combination? Like, like yeah. what do you, what do you find it? I think it's multi-layered. The reason why I really wanted to go into this area using my own background and um, my trauma-informed background, grief um, work background, um, it was because of my own experience. Um, I had two pregnancy losses really late term. And my first one, uh, my first pregnancy happened to be that my daughter was born with, uh, well, she had some very serious um, ab chromosomal abnormalities where she wouldn't have lived past birth. Um, and I was told by medical doctors through MRIs and a bunch of other um, testing that unfortunately she had a condition called arthrogryposis with fluid in the brain mm -hmm. where her informant, she wasn't growing properly and I was advised to terminate the pregnancy or it could be dangerous for me and the baby. Um, and so unfortunately we had to make a very, very difficult choice to terminate the, the pregnancy. Um, I was able to, to hold my baby and be with her. But after that, I found myself um, in a very difficult state and trying to look for support and help. And I didn't really find any help here in Rhode Island. There wasn't many people who specialized in termination for medical reasons. Not a lot. I've never had anybody in my family experience it. It was really hard to talk about because it's kind of a taboo subject. Not many people know about it. Um, so it was also like I'm grieving and then also trying to sometimes having to explain what happened and so sometimes i just defaulted to saying things like you know i just i lost a baby because maybe not everybody would understand mm -hmm. and i find my, my patients who have gone through that they experience very similar sentiments um where they don't know who to turn to some of them have never disclosed that they were even pregnant because of how much shame they feel right as a result um and so i I felt like this was such a need in our community that a lot of 
a lot of women are facing this. It can't be just me. Um, and I, I have found that, um, many people are in this, have experienced this and I've gotten a few referrals specifically for women who had to terminate a wanted pregnancy because of these type of abnormalities or these very, very difficult prognoses that they, that they get. Um, so trying to create a lot of awareness about this too, because again, not many people know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to speak about this to the today, um, I have, there's an article about me, um, about my pregnancy and, and the termination for medical reasons, um, as another form of creating awareness for other parents. Yeah. Well, 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 I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that, but, and I'm proud of you for your bravery and wanting to like get back and help your community and help you know, women and you know who experiencing that and uh, I kind of almost went through kind of a similar situation with my son like the doctors kept saying like oh like he might have like like some sort of abnormality with like some chromosome and like to do a test and like that 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 needle that they put in the belly button that do that test and uh, my yep. wife my, my first wife was like I'm not doing that test like uh, just whatever happens happens and my my son's perfectly healthy. I'm like, <laughs> he did all that testing and 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 or or not. We decided together not to do that the other test and like mm. now he's a big no healthy fourteen year old now. So it's like yeah. sometimes the doctors just like yeah what they don't know and just, or they give an educated guess and kind mm. of parents have to make that decision so it's uh no again thank you for your bravery and I get them no I'm sorry for thank you you had to go through that um so which kind of leads to everything that happened with um Roe versus Wade and everything that we're going through now I'm sure that kind of like added to extra trauma for, for you and clients that that, that you help with that like absolutely Yep. I've had, um, in the group that I run, uh, unfortunately, some of them, they're all from different States and some of them who, who were giving a really bad diagnosis for their pregnancies, whether it is that their baby would, you know, would, uh, not survive outside of the womb. Um, and for those who lived in States where, um, you know, that the Roe v versus beta is no longer, um, applied, they had to travel. They had to find the funds to travel to a different state um, to terminate again a wanted pregnancy um, because continuing with the pregnancy would be a huge risk not only for the mother but for the for the baby and more than likely, unfortunately, with the diagnosis that these women are given, the baby won't live past birth, and that's the most heartbreaking part of it all. Um, that we're making really incredibly difficult decisions um, for the babies that we love. And we try to make the most educated decision, the best decisions we can out of love. Um, but unfortunately, with these laws and policies that have been put in place, that have been taking these rights that have been taken from us, a lot of these women are now, they're re-traumatized mm -hmm. in travel, travel to a different state. And some of them who don't have the funds have to continue with the pregnancy, whether it is their baby has 
passed already and they have to continue with the pregnancy and be re-traumatized again once they give birth to a stillborn. Um, you know, these are things that are not really considered or thought of when these policies are taken away from us, um, especially one that has been in stance for over 50 years. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, is is really uh, unfortunately what was what's been happening in uh, in this country and kind of like you know it, it's like kind of like lost for words of what mm-hmm. what was been been was been transparent here yeah. in the country uh, for for several years now and it's like it just see things that's happening in Florida day in, day out and see what happens in Texas and then like kind of like Arizona that that was happening and you know, we got a senator who's actually a social worker in Arizona who's like making dumb decisions out there and it's like it's mm-hmm. uh you know just things are happening and it's like if that's why voting is important. I mean, we we've seen it in other countries too, like you know, women being being oppressed has been going on for for years, and we've seen what's been happening in Iran that the women are are defending themselves, and and, like, and actually the men know a lot of the men are supporting them. So it's like it's we've seen we've seen it throughout the world, and we kind of like you know enough it is enough, and kind of like. The fight, you know, continues, and it's, yeah. it's fascinating what exactly is going on in in the world. Uh, beside all the bad, there's definitely like you know the good is coming out as well. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, now, in terms terms of, of like like I don't know anything like about like the government aspect of, of Rhode Island. I've been to Rhode Island once. And I, it was for like a craft fest. Like it was like <laughs> like fifteen years ago, at least yeah. maybe like twenty years ago. <laughs> so uh, no, besides besides that, like what like no, you mentioned about the population. You know, you're seeing and there's like no the drugs and the, the homelessness. I think the homelessness crisis is going to you know continue, especially with all the uh, COVID uh, re- referendums that are are ending slowly but surely. Uh, here in Delaware, we. They, uh, I'm thinking a lot of people are going to lose their their Medicaid um, because mm-hmm. you no, know, they just automatically renewed the Medicaid throughout the pandemic, and now people actually actually have to uh, uh, kind of recertify and actually show proof mm-hmm. that that they that they do qualify for Medicaid instead of you, you make it sixty five seventy five thousand dollars and you you get into Medicaid. So mm-hmm. that's that that's that's ending. So. Uh, and there's already uh, uh, provisions in place here here in Delaware to uh, kind of like an extension of, of the um, Affordable Care Act for, for yeah. people who uh, don't who don't qualify or they lost the Medicaid debt to apply for. There's like a new version of, or like a branch, I can okay. say, of ACA. At least that's happening here in Delaware. Are you hearing any things of that nature, especially you when know, you work in private practice or or your nine to five is i'm mainly i'm mainly seeing the housing referendums and the eviction referendums being lifted and so that's definitely affecting a lot of my patients because a lot of my patients are experiencing homelessness and 
even though like some of them are, I have a patient who had, has been homeless for the past seven years and homeless is she has not had her own apartment, her own place. She's been bouncing from, she's been couch surfing. She's been living in the streets. She's mm -hmm. been now in the past two years, she's been in, um, she's been in a shelter program. So they've basically bounced her from house, from hotel to hotel. And she's on section E. And so it, there's just like so many layers to a lot of this, th these things, especially with her case where her section eight voucher expired. And because it expired, she almost didn't, wasn't able to apply for housing again. Um, and so they had to, you know, the director of the program that she's a part of had to defend her and say you know it's not her fault that her section 8 expired um because it wasn't her fault it was because they are were still not able to find her an apartment um and you know every time they offered her an apartment the landlord they would see that she's on section 8 and for whatever reason will turn her down afterwards um so it, there's just you really see i think in our field you really see how the system, the, the, the systemic racism, mm -hmm. um, how much it affects a lot of our population and the populations in, in need. I mean, even now with the social security increases, although it's like, what, 20, some of my patients have gotten $20 increases in their paychecks. Some of them have gotten $100 increases. And then on top of that, they're getting a letter. You got your increase. Now we're going to lower your food stamps. Okay. You got an increase. Now we're increasing your rent. It's kind of, you know, some of this stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Yes. <laughs> You're giving our patients money and these people are living in fixed incomes. Mm -hmm. And you're increasing their benefits, which they're excited about. But then next thing you know, they're getting a letter that their food stamps are being taken away. And we know food is really expensive right now. Yes. I astronomically expensive um so to take that away and then on top of that to even increase rent especially for subsidized housing um they're subsidized you know they're living in subsidized housing for a reason um so some of it it's 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 frustrating it's frustrating as a, a therapist as a social worker in this field to see um some of this stuff happening because we know who it affects the most no, absolutely. You 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 poor and under certain, under federal federal poverty level, you know, feel one two, doesn't matter how your family size is like, mm -hmm. it, it's just you get an increase in social security. They they go find some way mm -hmm. to, to take the money out. Some and some people are still paying their their Medicare uh, premiums on, on on top of that too. Even though the most people got taken away, but there's people still out there paying. A premium, and then now they, now mm -hmm. they, their food stamps are being, being cut, and, and it'll be like a drastic cut. Is not you know every dollar helps when you're like a fixed income like that, but uh, it's a drastic for twenty dollars. <laughs> you get yep. Social Security, you that that's like a maybe like forty to sixty, at least for, for example that you get taken away in food stamps and food is expensive, yep. so it's like. Damn if you do, damn if you don't, and then that's not including transportation to go to appointments or I have no money to go to my appointments. So it's like I was I had to pay rent and or mm -hmm. whatever. So it's it's a trickle down effect. And I've been seeing this for for years. This is like nothing new. This is not 
2020, this is not a COVID problem. Like this has been going on like in my 20 years in the field, I, I, I've seen this you know, constantly. It's something that I, I talk about constantly and remind people who are therapists that they might have a private practice and be like, what's going on? Why you get cut or whatever? And then not fully understand like the, the trickle down effect that yeah. that, do, that does happen. So it, and, and it's unfortunate, but that's that's a good old USA for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For 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 my for my uh out of the country listeners, this is what what, <laughs> hap- what happens here here <laughs> in America in social work. So uh if you if you don't know now now you know. So it's and and for anybody for these 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 homeowners that not accepting section eight, that's free money for you. Like that's guarantee money every month like now whether now whether the client can pay their portion whatever that portion is and that's something different but like at least you're getting something like every month and for not accepting there's like a huge stigma for whatever reason in terms of section eight um that's been going on for, for years too and even when Mm-hmm. Even when there's like wait list for for section eight and it's like it's frozen, then it's like unfreezes and and so it's like I think that that's something maybe the government needs to kind of like oh that's the next thing besides student loans that that's the next thing they need to overhaul is the section yep. eight process and yep and, there's a long list the government get <laughs> <put it> on <laughs> but you know it's um that that's kind of like the way the land is in terms of the, the u.s in terms of these housing or these or these case management issues that uh, yeah. e- even like within our profession like people like to like downplay like this case ma- the, the roles of case, social work case management roles that that you can help clients in and just day in day out and the, the struggles are, are are real like i if you yeah. can't go but refer you to therapy well i i don't have money to get to my appointment because I, I gotta pay rent or i gotta buy yeah. milk milk or bread and or, or like the eggs are like nine dollars in, in, in some states yeah. so it's like you know it's 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 a lot it's a lot happening and um mm-hmm. all at once and then covid didn't, didn't didn't help any any matters so like like i said this is like been going on for for decades so um now talking about covid did you like you mentioned like clients going through losses like was like how how was covid like from your experience oh my gosh it was really tricky it was i mean it was it impacted a, a lot of our patients unfortunately and Again, a lot of my patients um, were had families that passed away. Some of our, our patients passed away. Um, it was really tough, too, because we were so Oak Street. It's not just it started off in Chicago. Um, and so there is Oak Street in almost every state um, at this point. Um But we were asked to support some of the other states, which, of course, was really difficult because we could only do so much. I'm only licensed in Rhode Island. And so I couldn't do some of the things that they needed me to do in other states simply because 
it just, I didn't have my license over there. And so sometimes we were asked to like assess for um, loneliness and which of course, if we assessing elder, older adults for loneliness, we may find that there is more going on than just them being lonely, right? There's under things like depression, there might Mm. be passive suicidal ideation. And there's no way for me to manage you when you're living down in Tennessee. And that is true story. I had to speak to somebody from Mm. Tennessee. Um, a patient from, from tenant, from the Oak street in Tennessee, you know? And so some of these things came up for us. And I mean, even our patients locally, they were just really struggling. We, one of the things that, uh, the really cool thing about Oak street is all all of our patients get transportation to all of our appointments. Um, we have big old green vans that pick them up, drop them off. And if they don't, um, we go through their insurance. Um, sometimes insurance like blue cross blue shield will give them round trip. Um, like I think it's, uh, 24 single rides and 12 round trips per year for specifically for specialist appointments. Um, so our patients have that benefit where they get transportation to us and then they get, um, use their, that benefit for their, but one of the things that we started to do during the pandemic was um, we did a meal. Um, we started doing um, passing out meals for patients who needed it, patients who weren't able to get to the grocery store. Um, we started to partner with some of the local food pantries and we had meal bags and our drivers were delivering I was delivering to my patients um, on my own. Like I remember um, I was like, I, this is, we got to do something. This is when, you know, in hard times we find that community works faster than any, anything, right? Like when we get together and people really put their brains together. And I think that's like the fastest and most powerful thing that we can do. So I started, I, I went out, I bought some, sandwiches. I started making sandwich bags um, for any of my patients who I knew couldn't leave their house for whatever reason. There were some of my patients who had been getting radiation treatment or just really couldn't get exposed because of their chronic illnesses to the outdoors. And they were terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would go and, and deliver food to their homes um, and then uh, donate some food to our clinics. That way we can make um, bags and we could deliver them to patients. We started a whole program where we started delivering meals to our patients. Um, and that lasted for about a year. Um, we were doing that for them. Um, and that was just a bunch of us getting together, our region deciding that this is what it, this was a need. Um, other regions hopped on board and started doing the same thing. Um, just cause we knew like our, the elderly population was one of the highest at risk for all of this. So well, that, that that's great, and 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 this is why that the government need to cancel our student loans because we <laughs> I know it we're I risking our it. lives and we're doing all this stuff like during, during the pandemic and it's like no nobody get no nobody gives us credit the society doesn't give us credit and it's like even mm-hmm. with even like NASW ASWB and it's like. <laughs> The, or the organizations that that do the damn test they I know, recognize I, us day in day out so it's like yeah cancel our yeah. damn loans <laughs> please <laughs> the least you could do like risking our lives out here yeah i was out there pregnant doing those deliveries <laughs> yep so it's 
it, it really was, and it still is a crazy time because COVID is, is still out there. And literally, if you follow the right doctors on Twitter, up to like three thousand people are still dying every week from from oh, COVID, absolutely. and and uh, still out there. We got RSV. We got like yeah. you know, monkeypox. What was the thing for for a while that affected where where I work at now? So. Um, you know, just regular common cold, got flu, flu season, yeah. just, just weather, don't know how to act, depending nope. where you're at, so it's like hot <laughs> one, one week, and then it's like freezing the next week, and got mm -hmm. snow, snow, rain, and it's like, make up your mind what you want to do, yep. <laughs> don't, mm -hmm. don't, know how to, no, don't know how to dress, and it's like, yep, <laughs> so serious, it's, so it's, it's really, uh, the things that we do in, in in the field so it's like we tell people that we're not in the field what we're doing is like the, uh, the list goes on and on like the the, the looks yeah. i get and like look like i have like 10 heads and it's like yeah this is what i do i go in the weather it's like 100 degrees outside and like and i'll go like it's like minus nine and still yeah go door to door <laughs> visits yeah. and there, yeah. <laughs> whatever, like, uh, mm -hmm. so it it, it comes it comes with the territories, and that, mm -hmm. this is this is what we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, how was um twenty twenty? I know we were already like month two or twenty twenty three, but how was like twenty? Describe like twenty twenty two for you, like, and. Mm -hmm. I think the winter months are the toughest. I mean, I saw a big increase from end of August to December. There was a huge surge of patients just needing more support. Um, or my and my current page my current patients just really struggling. You know, like a lot of my patients, I do a lot of educating them. I start super early with the um, holiday season. I always start around summertime, starting to prep them, especially those who I know they have um, upcoming death anniversaries during the winter time, or if they live alone and have very little family or no family at all. I start sort of prepping them because it always, it, you know, it's not just seasonal affective disorder, but it's the grief that comes with mm -hmm. the holiday, dealing with that grief by yourself. A lot of the times my patients are are grieving and they don't even understand that they're grieving. Mm -hmm. They just keep coming to me and like, I just don't feel, I feel tired. I feel mm -hmm. sad all the time. And they're like, and I'm like, I try to help them understand, you know, you're grieving. Your parents aren't here anymore. Mm -hmm. Your last friend just passed away. And that's a real story. One of my, mm -hmm. my last friend passed away this past summer and out of, there were a group of seven and that was the last one that was left. And she's now the last one. She's already lost her husband, her son. Um, wow. She's pretty lonely. And, and actually, she just ended up at the hospital for a nervous breakdown. So that all of that, I think, just uh, a combination of all those things happened for a lot, a lot of my patients, you know, and they don't they don't realize it until they're already deep in. And that's have to really start doing even more work. But I really try to prep them um, beforehand be, uh, to kind of get us thinking, you know, when we start to notice these symptoms, let's 
let's really start engaging. So sometimes, thankfully, I have a lot of flexibility where if I'm seeing patients, whether it is on biweekly or sometimes I see them every three weeks, if I know that this time of year is really tough, I'm like, we're going to start seeing each other weekly because I want to make sure that we're catching on any symptoms if they're getting worse. Um, that way we don't go into, you know, we avoid hospitalizations right. because especially for my older folks who get panic attacks or have extreme anxiety, they'll end up at the hospital with chest pain mm-hmm. and I'll talk to them and let's further assess. And I'm like, what was going on? You know, and, and they're, they'll tell me like they were feeling really anxious and their heart started to hurt. And I'm like, yeah, you were likely having a panic attack, you know? So I do a lot of psychoeducation around mm-hmm. those things. Um, and trying to prevent these hospitalizations from happening from our patients. Um, so, but definitely around the winter time is always the toughest for a lot of our patients. Sometimes the summer, but a lot of the times it tends to be the winter time. Yeah, of course. We got like, like you mentioned, Christmas, we got Thanksgiving, and it's, yeah. and it's like, and like you mentioned, like that. That, that one friend that passes away or like you out like I mentioned earlier at the very beginning like patients who literally outlived everybody talking about siblings their own kids like their yeah. husband or wife or whatever and it's like they're the only ones left and it's just you're mm-hmm. the therapist or the social worker case by whatever like the professional you're their main source of contact in order like to talk to them and it's like that's it. That's all they have. And it's like, or if they, they lucky enough to have a home attendant that comes and helps them clean the house or whatever, like home attendant services, the home attendant is literally that one person that they have. And it's like, that's it. Yeah. And that, that's a reality. That's, that's what I had to deal with and working and, and what I kind of like deal with now on, on a personal aspect, you know, with, you know, my dad with, with his grief and, yeah. my mom and his yeah. his only brother and it's like that's wow. part of your grief and like it's kind of hard to 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 provide that that education like you know mm-hmm. you're well like kind of like we're grieving like the same people and we're like different aspects of grieving so it's like kind of like a fine line or where to cross and it's like I don't want to wear my professional hat at home because I want to leave it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> out the door, but it's at the same time you you see like you gotta use your professional skills and, and kind of like this is what you're going through and it's like like no that's not it <laughs> it's like yes it is and it's like all right just leave it as it is because we're not getting anywhere but but you know exactly what what it is so it's so it's uh it is real is is real and these conversations need to continue to have and we see them and people are getting are living longer so thanks to medical advances and which even makes the situation of uh, food stamps being cut and uh, increases even more stupid because people living longer they're going to need these services and we got people in the government want to cut always Mm want to cut Medicaid and always cut Medicare and cut food stamps and and, but you know people are, are living longer so that doesn't make yeah. sense yeah absolutely um where like what so any goals for 
the rest of 2023 since we're like in the middle of February. Yeah. No, I, I think just continuing to expand my work and my skill sets. Like I really love the work that I do. I really love working with my, my older population. I was a school social worker with middle schoolers and bulk of my career has been working with youth. I did not think that I would enjoy working with older adults as much as I do. Um, and of course my private practice, it's just been incredibly rewarding for me. Like I, I know my patients, all of them are experts of their own experiences and I do not take the work that I do with them for granted. I've learned a ton through working with my patients. I definitely look at life differently through working with my patients. I mean, how could you not when you're sitting here, like you're talking about getting older. One of my patients, he's my oldest patient. He's 83. His brother's 95, still driving. And his other brother is 88. And <laughs> And, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so healthy. So it's, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've learned a lot about just, just working with them, not only about mental health, right. And the stigmas, um, they debunk these stigmas, right. Especially for the older population. I think too, it's, it's hard because it's not just them, coming here with, you know, a new diagnosis, right? Um, a lot of them have had these diagnoses that they've had for decades. And some of them, some of my patients, I've had the privilege of being their first ever therapist and for act for and being able to support them and help them. Um, and for some, they've even told me, I've never had anyone explain my mental health the way that I've been able to, because I really dive deep into symptoms and connecting you know trauma from childhood to now because that doesn't go away just because you're 80 something years old mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you 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 That's carry true. your stories no matter how old you are your you know your childhood your your past versions of yourselves are always with you and helping my patients understand that and those aha moments and sessions have been incredibly rewarding for me um and I just, uh, for those reasons, I don't, I, my work is not done. It's only beginning and I'm excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. No, um, uh, that what you say is, is so true. I mean, I, I used to do school social work too. And is I definitely <laughs> rather work with the older adults than, than doing school social work. That You just learn, you just learn a lot, especially from the medical side and you learn all these just medical terminology and you learn medical social work. And that's kind of helped me out where the couple jobs that I've had. So it's like, it definitely, you know, it helps. It's always you know, good, good to learn. And you learn all these systems uh, of the social security and uh, the Medicare and how, how they go together. Like you can't have, you know, people yeah. who, people who turn six, about to turn 65 and have, having them apply for, for Medicare and mm -hmm. getting ready to retire or they're still working or, or they, you know, things of that nature. And just the, the little things the day in the day out that, that, yeah. you know, that, that they need or they just sometimes you just need just to listen and, and have yeah. them just talk. And that's it. Not, nothing was like, nothing was accomplished that, you were a, a ear for for them to absolutely talk and, and that that's all sometimes that all that all that takes so yeah, yeah. 
I think that's, I think, honestly, like, I think sometimes, um, sometimes I think people who think of the therapy profession may think, oh, you're, you're this clinical person who knows it all and who's going to tell me my diagnoses. And sometimes that's how my patients see me there. They'll ask me, so, so what do you think? How, how do you see me? I'm like, well, how do you see yourself? You know, like, <laughs> sometimes they think I'm going to give them all these answers and like fix them. And I'm like, no, we're, we're here to do the work together. Like the analogy I always use with them is you're the driver. I'm the passenger. I'm your, your GPS here. And if, if you tell if I tell you, I think we should take a right now and you take a left. All right. Then I'm going to go with your left because you're deciding to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for guidance, but if you don't take my guidance, then <laughs> I can't do much there right now. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to like, when I'm in the room with my patients, I never act like I know it all or use fancy clinical terms. And if I do, it's when I'm explaining things like the nervous system and I really break it down for them so they can understand how it's working and how it's affecting their mental health. But Otherwise, like I, they're the leaders in their, in, you know, in their journey. And I'm really there as a guide. I, I give them the green light all the time to fire me if I'm not working for them, because I may not be a good fit for all of my 151 patients, mm -hmm. you know, they may need someone else and that's okay. That's part of the work. Right. Um, and it's just, again, like you said, it's not like, it's not always going to be these structured CBT sessions. Yeah. You may just need to just vent. Maybe mm -hmm. they just have a lot going on and they just need someone to listen because they're caretakers to great grandchildren or grandchildren, which is a lot of my population, grand grandparents taking care of their grandbabies mm -hmm. and being parents again at 60 70 you know to 18 year olds like that is a lot and sometimes yeah. they just that. <laughs> no absolutely no that that, that is that is so real there that it, it is it, it, it is a lot and for for the, the the new social workers that listen or who are in school it, it's okay if a client fires you. That means you do you doing something you do something right. That doesn't mean you're not doing anything wrong. Like it's gonna happen. It's just, yeah. uh, so it's just it's just part of it's just part of the deal. So just don't take it personal. Is just keep going. You got a million other clients to see. One person you might be yeah. in a, you might be in a, at an agency or somewhere that they're going to look at that one firing and blow it out of proportion instead of the rest of the clients who like you and you get a good rapport. And so that might be uh, a red flag. You may have to like leave that job if they want to blow it out of proportion, but you know, you're going to get fired. This is part of the territory. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten fired. I don't take at the beginning when I first, first started early on in my career, of course, especially working with kids, kids are ruthless. They're honest. They tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, here I might my, my with older adults, sometimes they just ghost you and, and sometimes that's okay. <laughs> like, okay. They'll they'll never come back, you know. But some have told me, you know, I'm not ready for therapy right now. Sometimes when they step in and 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 we start really doing the work, sometimes when patients haven't tapped into that, they may not be ready and that's okay. And and again, I'm I'm young. I'm younger than 
most of my patients. And so sometimes they may feel like maybe I, I haven't really run into this a lot, but some patients may feel like because I am younger, they may not be getting the the services that they need, mm-hmm. um, which I don't take, again, I don't take offense to it. Right. I think the more, the most important thing is that, that they're getting the help somewhere. If it's not with me, I always tell them, I will help you find somebody else. And that is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Hey, who's this young buck telling me what to do? Back off. Some of them come in and they'll, and especially those who, who are educated will come in and ask me, what are your credentials? Mm-hmm. What did you study? You know, and it turns to be like sort of a session for me. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> this is for you. <laughs> but I'm very honest with them. And, you know, I tell them, you know, if you don't feel you can try it out, if you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. Yeah. No, that's, and, and, and all that, I, I, I experienced all, all that as well. It just comes with the territory. Absolutely. It is what it is. Well, mm-hmm. where, where can people find you? Um, so I'm Wilmaris Ramos at, on Instagram. You can also look me up at Begin Again RI um, on Instagram as well. I'm on Facebook, Wilmaris Ramos. Um, yeah, that's those are my social media. Um, you could request me. Begin Again uh, Begin Again RI is probably the most that you, uh, you could certainly request me there. That's also my private practice. Um, but my regular Instagram also has that information too there. So. All right. Awesome. Uh, I, I already told uh, a couple of our uh, outside Rhode Island peeps, uh, I got to go back up there even for, for a craft fest one of these days. <laughs> yes, that, especially summertime. <laughs> yes, in the summer. That's what, that's where I went one time in the yeah. summer. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, pleasure having you on. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Take care.